gluttons for punishment. I understand that very clearly. So, <laughs> Okay, so where are we? We are in Matthew chapter 23, and we're going to pick up at verse 29, okay? So, <clears throat> today we're going to look at the last of Jesus' woes that he pronounces upon the Pharisees. Woes are judgments. That's all the word woe indicates. Okay? He is pronouncing judgment upon the Pharisees because they are hypocrites. He's condemning their hypocrisy. Okay? Now, we need to make sure that we don't read this and just look at these events as if they are instructions to the Pharisees only. Because Matthew's audience we're reading about these events 50 years after they happened. And this teaching is to apply to that church and to our church as well. And when he says, woe to you who are hypocrites, it applies to us. And so we are to examine our own lives to make sure that we're not hypocrites because if we are, if, we, if our actions don't match our heart, uh, then... The woe is upon us. Okay, so let's look at the last woe here in verse 29. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Okay, now watch this. That's what he calls them, hypocrites. He's going to pronounce woe upon them for two reasons. Okay, reason number one. Because you build the tombs of the prophets and adorn the monuments of the righteous. This is what they do. This is what they do. What do they do? They build tombs for the prophets, and they adorn those tombs. Why would he pronounce judgment on someone who takes care of the graveyard? That would be honoring the prophets. The Pharisees want to make sure, at least appears, they want to make sure that the dead prophets have a nice memorial site. That doesn't seem like something you condemn. That seems like something you commend. But he condemns them. He says, whoa, why? Because you erect tombs for the dead prophets of Israel and you adorn them. Now, we have tombs all around our country that are memorial sites. We have the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier. People flock there. We recognize that these are people who gave their lives for this country. We have the you know, Eternal Flame representing the death of uh, John F. Kennedy. And these are sites where tourists come and they instill pride in our nation. Doesn't seem like it'd be something that you would condemn. But remember... He's condemning them for being hypocrites. Isn't that what it says there? Woe to you hypocrite. So while they're doing this, which seems like a nice thing to do, evidently their hearts are really not in it. They are phonies. They are insincere in what they do. But they do it, and he says, you're going to be condemned for doing this, probably for a wrong motive or a wrong heart. Okay? It contradicts what's really inside of them. Now there's a second reason he judges them or pronounces a woe on them in verse 30. And 
You say something. Not only do you do something, you say something. And here's what they said. They said, well, if we had lived in the days of our fathers, meaning our forefathers, we would have not been partakers with them in the blood of the prophets. We'd never done, we wouldn't have killed the prophets if we lived back there in Old Testament. We, we wouldn't have been like those forefathers. Does that sound familiar to you? To you? Oh, if I lived back in the mid-1800s, I never owned slaves. That sound familiar? In fact, that's what you say, don't you? I take off for Martin Luther King's day. That's what you do, don't you? It's okay. Oh, if I would have lived in Nazi Germany, I wouldn't have persecuted Jews. That's what you say. Your heart really is it? Are you really anti-Semitic in your heart today? Do you really hate people of other races in your heart today? When they cut you off on the road, you say, you dirty, whatever. I visit the Holocaust Museum. That's what you say. I wouldn't have done that with the church in Germany did. I wouldn't have been like, that's what you say. Here's what you do. I'm friends with my Jewish next door neighbors. I have some friends who are Jewish. During Hanukkah, I take them over, you know, kosher cake or something, I bet, or whatever you do. So, they are condemned for what they say and what they do, and yet the things they say and do seem to be pretty nice things to say and do. We didn't kill the prophets, and we take care of the tombs. We build memorials for them. Why in the world would you judge somebody for saying and doing good things? See? Look at verse 31. <clears throat> Therefore you are witnesses against yourselves that you are the sons of those who murdered the prophets. Now, Jesus doesn't tell us how they witness against themselves or to testify against themselves. But Jesus is linking them with their forefathers. You know, like father, like son as we said. And uh, there's no difference between these people and their forefathers. He doesn't tell us at this point, now listen, he doesn't tell us at this point how they testify against themselves or expose themselves for what they really are. But remember, Luke's audience reading this passage, how many years after they took place? I mean, Matthew's audience, <laughs> 50 years, reading about these events 50 years later, they know how these people are. Because they know these people crucified Jesus. And killed Christian prophets along the way. So Luke's audience is reading back into the stories. Oh yeah, they did testify. They remember when they killed Jesus. And then they remember when they killed Paul. And remember when they... they so you can see that. So now he gives this command in verse 32. Oh, this is a great one. Fill up, he says to these Pharisees, fill up then the measure of your father's grief. Uh, some translations say, fill up the measure of your father's guilt. Most likely that last word is in italics. Do you see that? You can fill it up. You can put it into whatever you fill up. Therefore, the measure of your father's, meaning your forefather's sins, or the wrath that they deserve, or their guilt. 
Which means that their forefathers didn't complete the job. Their forefathers killed who? Who'd they kill back in verse 30? The prophets. And guess what? Jesus is now telling the Pharisees to fill up what their forefathers left undone. Complete the job. There are more prophets to be killed, and you're going to be the ones to kill them. See? So uh, their fathers are guilty of killing the prophets, and guess what? There's room for more guilt. There's room for more opportunities to sin and kill the prophets. And these guys are going to shed more prophets' blood. And uh, it's the Pharisees who are going to be held responsible. So, once they, if you fill something up, then guess what it is? Anybody know? I guess it's full. You can't fill something up more than full. <laughs> Otherwise, it's just overflowing, but it's not filling anything up. It's just going on to the ground. Now, Jesus says, fill up what your forefathers lacked. Now, they killed a lot of prophets in the Old Testament. But I want you to fill it up. And then once that measure of guilt and sin is filled up and there's no more room, you filled it up to the brim, then guess what happens? Once it's full, then the judgment will fall. That's when the woe or the final judgment will fall. It will fall on the people who fill it up. And who's he speaking to? He's talking to the Pharisees. He's talking to this generation. And uh, there's going to come a point where the, the guilt and the sin for all the things that Israel has done all the way up to the time of the Pharisees is going to reach a tipping point. And when it reaches the tipping point, it's filled up and it reaches the tipping point, at that point judgment falls. Now, I know what that's like because in my neighborhood there's a park and it has a water, water feature. And it's a very interesting water feature. You've seen it. There's a bucket on a pole about 10, 15 feet high. And there's water that squirts into the bucket. And the kids run under the bucket. And then the water fills the bucket right to the brim and it reaches a tipping point. And guess what happens? The bucket turns over and all the water pours out on the kids and they go, ah! And we took one, our grandkids about a year ago to this little park and we had one three years old and it scared her to death. She thought it was the judgment, you know, <laughs> coming upon her. So this is what Jesus says is going to happen, okay? So they are going to fill up what's lacking in the sin of their forefathers and when that happens, the judgment is going to fall upon the nation of Israel. Now next, Jesus uses what we would call an invective. That's an insult. An insult by labeling them with a title. And you see that in verse 33. He calls them serpents. Brood of vipers. Now the word brood means that they are the offspring. The person says, hey boy, they got a brood of kids, you know. And notice that they are the brood or the children of vipers, plural. Their fathers were vipers, poisonous snakes like poisonous snakes. This would be what we call a, a metaphor. They're not literally snakes, but they're like slimy, poisonous snakes. Their forefathers were, and 
Well, what is a snake like, by the way? It slithers. You don't see it. You know, it comes up on you. That sounds like these people who kill the prophets. <coughs> sounds like the Pharisees, how they always do things in secret. And he says, your forefathers were a bunch of snakes and serpents, and guess what? You're their children. And guess what? You all have a common father. Remember what his name was? Satan. That's right. He was a serpent too, right from the beginning. And he appears as a serpent in Genesis, and he looks like a, and he appears as a serpent in Revelation chapter 12. So he gives them this invective, this uh, insult, this slam, and he labels them serpents, a brood of vipers. Look what he says. Here's the question he asked them in verse 33. It's very interesting. How can you escape the condemnation of hell? That's a rhetorical question. That means the answer is obvious. You serpents, you brood of vipers, how can you escape the condemnation of hell? And the answer is, you can't. Because you're filling up judgment that was lacking with your forefathers. God didn't judge the forefathers who killed the prophets. That's the amazing thing. They killed the prophets and got away with it. But guess what? There's going to come a time when there's going to be judgment. And when does that happen? When it's all filled up and the last prophet's been killed. See? At that point, Israel's going to be judged for its sin. Now look at verse 34. Therefore, in other words, in light of what he's just said, everything that Jesus has just said, therefore, I send you prophets, wise men, scribes. These would be good scribes. These would be people who interpret the law correctly. Jesus, interpreters of Scripture. Teachers, Bible teachers, sort of. In light of this, I, will, I send you prophets, wise men, and scribes. That's what Jesus will do. What is Jesus going to do? Send them God's men. Watch. That's what Jesus will do. Watch what the Pharisees will do in verse 34. Some of them you will what? Kill. They kill Stephen? They kill James? Yes, some of them you will kill. Look what else he says. Some of them you will crucify. You know anybody that they crucified? Oh, Jesus. Peter was crucified upside down if Christian tradition is any indication. Look what else he says. Some of them you will scourge in your synagogues and persecute from city to city. Uh, Paul would go into a synagogue and man, they would run him out of town on a rail. They would beat him to a pulp, sometimes leaving him almost dead. They did the same thing to Jesus. He'd go into synagogues and they would chase him out of town. Eventually. So what we have is we have them these prophets, these apostles, these teachers going into synagogues, they scourge you in their synagogues. Now watch this next phrase. They persecute you from city to city. They persecute you from city to city. The book of Acts tells us that when the Apostle Paul went into Thessalonica and went to the synagogues, he was persecuted and he had to leave, escape for his life. He went into the city of Berea in chapter 17 of Acts, and guess what? The Jews, the Pharisees, 
in Thessalonica, that city where he just was, did. They sent a team over to Berea to persecute him. Paul leaves Berea, goes to the next city, and guess what they do? They follow him. They persecute him from city to city. So this is very interesting. Jesus says, this is what's going to happen. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to send the prophets, and here's what you're going to do. You're going to kill them. And you're going to fill up to the brim the guilt that lacks with your forefathers. Now, Paul talks about this. It's very interesting. And he talks about it in 1 Thessalonians. I want to show this to you. I think you'll, those of you who enjoy reading the Bible, seeing how things connect, you'll enjoy this. 1 Thessalonians in chapter 2. 1 Thessalonians in chapter 2. You still with me? <clears throat> okay. <clears throat> and when you get there, Look at verse 14. Remember, Thessalonica was where he preached and the Pharisees ran him out of the city and then followed him to the next city and then the next city. So he's writing to the church at Thessalonica. 1 Thessalonians 2 and verse 14. For you, brethren, became imitators of the churches of Christ, which are in Judea, in Christ Jesus. For you also suffered. Look at this. For you also suffered the same things from your own countrymen, just as that church did from the Judeans, who killed both the Lord Jesus and their look, own prophets and have persecuted us and they do not please God and are contrary to all men, forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they may be saved, so as to fill up the measure of their sins. Do you see that? That's the same thing Jesus said back there in Matthew 23. They're filling it up. The measure of their sin. But the wrath of God has what? Come upon them to the utmost. And so here's Paul making a commentary, basically, on what Jesus said back there in Matthew 23. Now turn back to Matthew 23, and we see this purpose statement just staring us right in the face. I think you'll see how all this now comes together. So I'll just read verse 34 again, just for a review. In light of everything Jesus says, he says, Indeed, I will send you prophets, wise men, scribes. Some of them you will kill and crucify. Some of them you will scourge in your synagogues and persecute. We just saw that's the word Paul used. From city to city. Now here's the purpose statement. That. So that. In order that on you, this generation, may come how much? All the righteous blood shed on the earth. <laughs> Look at that. You're going to be judged for all the righteous blood that was shed on the earth. From the blood of righteous Abel, the first martyr back in Genesis 4 verse 8, Remember in verse 4.10, it says the blood of Abel cries out for vengeance. He never got it. Cain slew Abel. Did he get justice? Did God slam him so hard? An eye for an eye? Did God do that? No, he allowed him to live. But guess what? One day, Abel's death will be taken care of. It'll, the person who did it will be punished. 
They will be held responsible. God will revenge. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. He says, so that upon you, this generation, all the righteous blood, verse 35, on earth, from the blood of righteous Abel back in Genesis to the blood of Zechariah. Look at that. Who in this world is Zechariah? This is not the Zechariah in Zechariah 1 who writes the book. This is Zechariah, it says, the son of Barakiah, Barak, Bar, let me say it again, Barakiah, whom you murdered, look at this, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. This Zechariah was murdered back in 2 Chronicles. Who does Christ hold responsible for the murder of Abel, this generation? Who does he hold responsible for the death of Zechariah the prophet? This generation. He says, you murdered him. Why? Because your forefathers murdered him, and guess what? You're continuing their activity. Wait a second. We built monuments to the prophets. We, if we lived back in those days, we wouldn't have done what our for. Hey, yes, you, I'm sending them there, and then you, this is testifying against you. This is exactly what's going to happen. And you're going to be held responsible for all their deaths from Abel to Zechariah. Why does he end with Zechariah? Starts with Abel. We know Abel was the first prophet killed. Genesis. Second Chronicles? Oh, Malachi is the last book of the Bible. Oh, in our English Bible it is, but in the Hebrew Bible, what's the last book of the Bible, BTS students? Anybody know? Yeah. In the Hebrew Bible, it's 2 Chronicles. The Hebrew canon of Scriptures, 2 Chronicles, is the last book of the Old Testament. But when we translate it into English, we just change the arrangement around and stay with Malachi. So what he's saying is from the first prophet to the last prophet, from Genesis to the, from the first book of the Hebrew Old Testament to the last book of the Hebrew Old Testament, guess what? The prophets were killed, but the judgment for all of it is going to fall upon this generation because you're filling up what was lacking. You're going to kill, keep on killing the prophets. And who's going to be the ultimate prophet they kill? Jesus. God's ultimate spokesperson. The prophet spoke for God who did God speak? Who spoke for God in a final, definitive way? It was Jesus Christ. And so they're going to fill up what's lacking in the sins of the forefathers. Now, what we have next is Jesus says in verse 36, Assuredly I say to you, all these things shall come upon who? This generation. This generation. What generation? The generation that he's speaking to. He's speaking to these people in 30 AD. And the judgment is going to fall on that particular generation. Now look at verse 37. We see, I'm going to call this, if Jesus had his brothers, okay? Uh, if Jesus had his way, okay, here it is. Oh, Jerusalem, capital city of Israel. Oh, Jerusalem, one who kills the prophets, stones those who are sent to her, like Stephen that they stoned. 
how often I wanted you, wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. Here's what my heart's desire was. I wanted to just grab you and just pull you into myself and protect you from the wrath of God just as a storm comes and a hen puts her big wings over her chicks to protect them from danger. He said, that's my desire. That's what I wanted to do. For God so loved the world. See, this is what He wants to do. He wants to save us. But look at this. What it says at the end of verse 37. But you were not willing. Here's what Jesus wants. Here's what they want. Jesus wants to protect them. And they do not want Him to protect them. Instead of listening to the voice of the Son of God, they listen to the voice of the children of the devil. And as a result, they, hear, they listen to the wrong voice, they obey the wrong voice, and instead of escaping the wrath to come, the wrath to come is going to fall upon them. Even though He wants to woo them, He wants to draw them, He cries over them, Look, you've cried over some of your children. You've pled for them to come to their senses. You would have given your own life for your children. But they went their own way. <laughs> There's no more that you could do. If you would have died for your child, that, that wouldn't have changed them. They'd come to your funeral and gone out and got drunk. Here's Jesus. He's pleading for them, but guess what? He only do what he could do. Instead of listening to him and trusting him, they listened to the wrong voice. And here's the result for the nation of Israel. Look what he says in verse 38. See your house. This is a prophetic statement. See your house is less left desolate. Their house would have been the temple. Remember, that's the whole context of this section of your city. The land is going to be devastated. The temple is going to be destroyed. Left desolate. Desolate means nothing. Desolate is a word that's used in the wilderness where there's nothing. Nothing standing. Like the tornado that just ripped through Granbury and you, you look on the television, you look at the scenes and some houses, the only thing standing is a, is a slab. There's nothing there. That's what's going to happen to the temple. It's going to be a little desolate. For I say to you, look at verse 39. You shall see me no more. No more second chances. This is it. Fate's been sealed. Your house is left desolate. That's a fact. Because you had all your chances. I'm no longer going to be like a mother hen. But guess what I'm going to do? You'll see me no more. Until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. It's referring to, to his second coming. So, Jesus is going to depart. The time of repentance is past. Or it's going to soon be up at least. So then what we have, and I'm just going to read for the read the next verses for you, because this is where we're going to pick up after the summer break. Look what he says in verse 24. 
Matthew says, Then Jesus went out and then he parted from the temple. That's what he was talking about. The watch. His disciples came up to him to show him the buildings of the temple. Hey, Jesus, we're talking about desolate. Look at these buildings. It took Herod 40 years to build this complex. Nothing can move this building. He said to them, Do you not see all these things? Assuredly, I say to you, listen to that, truly, truly, you can can bet on it. Assuredly, I say unto you, not one stone shall be left here upon the other that shall not be thrown down. Their fate is sealed. Judgment is going to be destroyed. Look at verse 3. Now as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately and they said, Tell us, when will these things be? When's, when's the temple going to be destroyed? When's it going to happen? When's this final judgment upon Israel going to fall? Okay. And, question number two we want to know, what will be the sign of your coming at the end of the age? You said you're going to depart. When are you going to come? When is everything going to end? Now, Luke's readers, reading this passage, how many years after it's written? About 50. They know the answer to the first question, when is the temple going to be destroyed? It was destroyed in 70 AD. From 30 to 70 AD, that was the time that that generation still had an opportunity to turn to God and repent, but it didn't. And that 40-year generation passed and the temple, and not only the temple, all of the city of Jerusalem was literally devastated. The second question, however, what will be the sign of your coming in the end of the age? Neither Matthew's audience knows the answer to that. They don't know when he's going to come back. And guess what? Neither do we. So the answer to that second question is still perplexing. And chapter 24 of Matthew is called the Olivet Discourse. And Jesus speaks to those two questions. When will the temple be destroyed and when will be the end of the age? And then that's where we'll pick up after a summer break. Next week, Psalm 55. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. Uh, we see how it all fits together. We realize now why judgment doesn't come until all the sin has been completed. And you tally up the score. and You determine the amount of wrath that's to fall. It may seem like one generation gets away with sin and you kill a prophet in Old Testament times and literally gets away with murder. But you're keeping the account and you're keeping the records. Help us to realize, Lord, that this This statement, this teaching, is not only meant for the Pharisees, but it's meant for us. Because you say, woe, the hypocrites. Help us to examine what we say and do in light of the condition of our heart. Do we say one thing and do one thing, but deep down in our heart, harbor these prejudices and these hates and these murderous thoughts and anger And if we could get away with murder, we would in some cases. Oh, Lord, are we the hypocrites of today? Are we the religious leaders and the religious people who are the hypocrites of the day? Help us to realize, Lord, that we've heard this message 
that we may get in line with your word, we may repent, we may give our full allegiance to Jesus, and that we have an opportunity to have the Holy Spirit transform us inside out so that our heart and our motives match our actions. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.